0: The Guardian.
1: Would you like to unlock the secrets of great science writing? Science writers actually have to find a way of converting very complex ideas into something the rest of the world can understand. Well, the great science writer Tim Radford can help you do just that. I'll tell you more after the podcast. Hello, it's Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis.
2: And I'm Kieran Yates.
1: Coming up, Richard Williams talks to a towering figure appearing at the London Jazz Festival. None other than Jacques Dijonet.
2: Three new tracks are given a grilling in Singles Club.
1: Plus, we hear from Tame Impala, Australian manufacturers of psychedelic groove, as well as gathering your thoughts on the uh, Tracy Thorne podcast from last week, which I was absent. So I imagine most of the thoughts are like, where was Alexis? It was rubbish without <laughs> him. That's all here on Music Weekly from The Guardian. Joining us this week is Charlotte Richardson-Andrews. Hello, Charlotte. Hello. How are you? What I'm have you fra- been doing? What's, been, old, going, what's been going on in your world?
2: Charlotte is a columnist now. She's a big-in-the-game columnist. You may have seen her face in more magazines. Okay. What are you writing
1: about for more magazines? I'm writing
2: about coming out,
0: being big gay. gay. Yeah. Right,
1: wow, okay, brilliant. That's, that, that, is that quite a new thing for a woman's Magazine to be running I an article, f- running a regular column? About?
0: I think for more, yeah, I think their, their demographic is quite straight.
1: That's really cool. Mm. It's more than one of the staff position of the month.
0: Indeed. Still going. Is it? Still going. Really?
1: Because <laughs> that was going like 10 years. Ago. I mean, you know, Ooh, perhaps yeah. this reveals what a vanilla character I am, <laughs> but I would have thought they'd have run out by now. Uh, no,
0: still going. Oh, Alex, yeah,
1: still going strong. No. Wow, well, congratulations. That's very cool. Thank you. Um, what should we talk about? Music news. Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you what, first of all, I, I wasn't here last week. I was in uh, Paris with Johnny Adide. Um, and, uh, you know, Johnny Alliday sort of has a reputation of being the French Elvis, the French Cliff Richard, some people say the French Cliff Richard, or whatever, um, and he's sort of a figure that's laughed at a bit, and maybe there's a little element of, you know, sent me a funny article, but I've done a bit of digging into Johnny Alliday's back catalogue, which is very not particularly, you know, very unknown in Britain. And it turns out basically that it, it's been my sort of discovery of the year. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's stuff from the late sixties, from about nineteen sixty six to about nineteen seventy two. He was backed. He recorded most of it in Britain. He was backed by sort of crack session musicians, Jimmy Page and members of the Small Faces and Peter Frampton. It's absolutely amazing. And I wanted. Sh- I want to share it with people. Um, so I'm going to give you a little blast. Here's a bit of uh, Johnny, Johnny. Uh, this from nineteen sixty eight. Check this out.
3: La avait pleuré son dur
1: That's Johnny Hallyday, from 1968, that's called Je Ne Pas Voulu Croix, a oh, totally brilliant piece of music. Anyway, um, there is actually a compilation on RPM um, called Le Roi de France, The King of France, I think I might be pushing it a bit. Um, it's chock full of stuff like that, it's, it's, all, it's all really good, um, so yeah, if you're intrigued, check out Johnny Alliday's uh, late 60s oeuvre. Um, other music news. What has been happening, Rihanna? Rihanna's album.
2: Rihanna's album. You've heard it, haven't you? I you have haven't. heard it. I've only heard one track from it. Which track have you heard? The Chris heard? Brown. You've heard the track. Chris Brown track. Yes, the collaboration track.
1: What did you make of the Chris Brown track? Well, it's a good track. It's a piece of music. I think this is part of my problem with the Rihanna album. Actually, it's a piece of music, perfectly serviceable, rather perky bit of mm-hmm. disco house. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think I think that it's uh, sort of morally ambiguous either way to take a. you know, to take an exact stance. But what I do think is that it's good that we're hearing from her quite explicitly or at least nodding to events that have taken place because I think that when kind of all the events happened with her being horrifically abused by Chris Brown happened, there was this real pressure for her to come out and really talk about it and, you know, take a certain stance. And I think that she was obviously not ready and this is just the medium through which she's choosing to... Talk about what well, happened. Well, she's she's certainly not the taking the stance that
1: people might want to take yeah. because I've I've heard the whole album and the, the the general impression you get from it is Chris Brown is to all intents and purposes the light of the world. Right. Um, okay. You know, I mean, I I, I felt very I felt, I felt very, pretty queasy. I found it was it an uncomfortable listening. listen. Yeah, I found it a fairly uncomfortable listen. I mean, you know, it, it's not for me to discuss. You know, it's not for me to make judgments on what Rihanna should or shouldn't do in her private life. If mm. she wants to go back to a bloke who beat her up, then, you know. Um, hearing it kind of presented as entertainment, I was a bit sort of uncomfortable with. I mean, I think it's sort of... It's interesting that she's chosen to address it now, I suppose.
2: The th- the The whole crux of... This whole story is though is that it was so visible and it was so kind of in the public forum that people were discussing it. so I feels like it would almost be natural that she would kind of use this medium uh, of kind of through her album to talk about it because it is completely public and it's almost expected um so i don't know I think it is quite um
1: there is another more cynical interpretation you can make of that, which is that Rihanna is at a stage <laughs> in her career where she's realized that she's more famous. For being Rihanna and for her private life than she is actually as a singer, mm. and it's sort of an ex. You know, I mean, everybody else is making money from it. Why shouldn't she exploit this yeah. aspect of her? Because I mean, there are songs that seem to make you know kind of explicitly play upon this incident on on the album. Charlotte, what do you make of all of this?
0: Um, I agree with Karen. I think. I think she was in a position where she was kind of forced initially to c- kind of come out and say, you know, domestic violence is bad, especially because, you know, so many of her fans are are young girls. Mm. Um, but I think from the sounds of it, it sounds like she's she's gone to the other end of the spectrum and is very kind of much, you know, forgiveness and... Um, mm. I think that's difficult for people to hear.
1: I suppose it continues to be an unprecedented thing, because I can't think of another t- record mm-hmm. in music history that features a victim of domestic abuse duetting with her abuser about how great their relationship is.
2: Just one more point I wanted to make on this is that I think it is a symptom of um, urban music culture that women in uh, hip-hop and R&B and urban music do have to almost um, inhabit this idea of strength, of being kind of strong, powerful, almost sassy women. And so I think it's quite difficult for Rihanna because she's been, you know, forced into a place of vulnerability. Um, And now she's kind of responding to that in, you you know, potentially a problematic way. But I do think that it's important not to lose focus on the fact that you can still be a strong woman and, you know be on terms with your abuser or even duet you with your abuser and still come from a point of strength I think that I really hate this idea that you know oh she's you know she's weak she's in a place of weakness now because she's forgiven him and everything's fine I think there's a lot more at work there and I think it's really dangerous as soon as we start talking about women as you know being weaker because of that because there's plenty you can still be strong and have that
0: I agree. And leading on from that, I think if you listen to um, We Found Love in a Hopeless Place, I think what she was trying to do on that song sounds like maybe what she's doing on the album, which is she's actually trying to reach a place of reconnecting with him. And I I think maybe fame is a part of that, because I think in that song, she's talking about two people who are on their own against the rest of the world with the glare of the media on them. And I think she's talking about the impact fame can have on love and young people in love.
1: It's interesting i think i think you're both uh very forgiving i i i i i I'm, I'm quite surprised i was sort of struck by thinking this was generally quite a bad thing but um it's interesting a wide range of viewpoints. They say the bigger the star, the shorter the introduction. Drummer Jack DeJohnette has been the percussionist of choice for Deep Breath. Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Ornette Coleman and Herbie Hancock. Quite a tally. He came to The Guardian to talk to our very own Richard Williams about a half century of keeping the beat.
4: The first time I saw you in the UK was uh, when you were walking out with Chick Career, Keith Jarrett, Dave Holland, Edna Morera, Gary Bartz, and Miles Davis in front of 600,000 people mm. at the Isle of Wight Pop Festival in 1970. Right, right. Uh, And I wonder, if you look back, how did that feel?
5: Well, I think that was amazing. It was the first time uh, Miles had actually played for that m- many people and uh, of course miles really wanted to reach the younger audience so this was a pivotal uh, experience as uh, any folks out there they've seen electric miles uh, would see at the end of it the uh, performance you see miles looking out at over this 600,000 people and real you know, smiling like you know yeah this is this is it you know
4: The bill at that Isle of Wight was extraordinary. You came on after Joni Mitchell and Tiny Tim, mm-hmm. and before The Who, The Doors, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, yeah. Sly and the Family Stone, and yet it seemed to fit, didn't it? The, the feeling was very good that, that day.
5: Well, Jimi Hendrix as well, you know, yep. it was interesting because you mentioned those, those acts because... You know, The first time I, I got a taste of that was actually back in the mid-60s uh, with Charles Lloyd Quartet and uh, Bill Graham, a visionary promoter who started to film more concerts in San Francisco. Bill believed that uh, eclecticism really could work. I mean, in some ways it worked partly because most of everybody was tripping or high on something or other, but, you know... Uh, Interesting time. So go from that to to Isle of Wight, you know, there was the transition period, you know. Then, of course, Miles went back, you know, a couple of years later with the the band and uh, played the film more.
4: Your music seems to be completely free of restrictions. You started when you were four years old as a pianist, Mm -hmm. classically trained pianist, and you switched to drums when you were 14, I think. A little,
5: little later than that, but, uh-huh.
4: yeah. But did that have something to do with it in a way that you, you never saw music in terms of categories and genres?
5: You know, it was just so much. Chicago was a great city for all kinds of music, so that was all right there. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I used to listen to the music on the radio, and then my uncle, Roy Wood, who was a jazz fan, I, I used to play his records and uh, listen to Duke and Tommy Dorsey and uh, Count Basie and Elephant's General and Slim Gaylord, you know. So I used to listen to a lot of those records, and then later my uncle became a jazz DJ. But in between that, I used to just listen on the radio, pick out different things. I used to listen to grand old opera, country and western music, you know, classical music and uh, gospel music you know, European folk music. And, of course, there's blues, you know, which I listen to and play a lot in Chicago. But, you know, I never put it in categories. I just thought, oh, this is fantastic, all this different music.
4: Important relationships with a lot of great musicians and played with many, many of the of the, of the great jazz improvisers. But I wondered if a, a special relationship for you has been with Manfred Eicher at ECM Records, because Manfred's breadth of taste may have provided a platform for you all these years. Would that be right?
5: Yeah, I think that uh, the new thing about ECM and Manfred Eicher is that in the days, uh, shall we say? Troubled social ec- economical times. That the ECM label is one of the f- few independent labels that's still very successful, and uh, that's accomplished over, over the last 30 years because you know the basis for ECM was was quality, it was to have emphasis on the art, the highest art form you could get, and also Manfred was a producer. For the Dutch gramophone, he produced classical records. So his ear and his concept of sound was more based on actually uh, film. And I, and, uh, and that's why uh, instead of a jazz, jazz session, it was called a production because he looked at each production as like a film. And so you're always encouraged to do... Uh, bring out the, you know, the best artistic performance. Also, well, I wondered if, it, if
4: it had brought you into contact with a, a lot of musicians that you might not have otherwise have, have collaborated with.
5: Well, yeah, and it also helped redefine my music, you know, my artistic abilities, you know, you know, and uh, Manfred had a unique ear for recording instruments. You know, they'd say, well, that was an ECM sound, but it was, uh, you know, Whatever you wanna say about the ECM sound, you always know that you're gonna hear the music recorded at the best level.
4: I've been reading blogs from America lately that reviving the the age old discussion about is jazz dead? What is jazz anymore? Is it still can it still move forward or has it served its purpose? How do you feel about the state of the music?
5: Well, I mean, jazz is like it's a lifestyle. It's like everything else. It has to adapt to changes, and it's doing that now. We have young players out now. Robert Glasper, we have uh, Ambrose Akinmusire. we have um, Esperanza, you know. So they're still moving. There's moving still forward. young players that are, you know, on the scene and making their voices heard. You know, uh, Glasper's, you know, been able to fuse jazz and hip-hop together really well, you know i mean and over here in the uk there's quite there's a lot of good young musicians like uh, stacy Kinch you know who've been fusing and not just stuck in the tradition of jazz but bringing what's happening to connect with young people younger people to bring them into the as, you know the aspect of the traditional jazz as well as putting the jazz sensibility into
6: hip-hop
4: I can't let you go without asking you about one man it's not every day one meets a man who played with John Coltrane. You played with Coltrane briefly when you were very young. I think you sat and you replaced Elvin Jones one night at a, mm-hmm. a
5: club. And then, like said, yeah. and, then and then I think I sat yeah. And then I had played with John again alongside Rashid Ali, Alice and uh, uh, Farrell Sanders in Chicago at Plugnickel for a week.
4: Stepping for Elvin must have been a fairly, uh, fairly daunting experience, wasn't
5: it? Yeah, but you know it was actually a lot of fun. And when I think about it, you know, I was I had been playing with the records, so I knew the music. So uh, it was it was just really a, a really nice surprise. I think it, what it did, it gave my confidence a big boost. You know that uh, Jimmy and uh, McCoy and Train, you know, didn't seem to mind, I was playing. And I held my own, and so uh, after that, it really uh, helped my confidence.
4: Well, Jack DeJohnette, thank you very much, and enjoy your extended birthday party in, in the oh, UK. Oh,
5: yeah, I'm I'm having a great time. You know, after after uh, December 1st, uh, i slow down, take a break. <laughs> but it's been a terrific year, and I'm really, really loving it and enjoying it. Having a great time.
4: Well, I hope there are many more, and thank you again.
5: Okay, my pleasure.
1: Jacques de Jeannette talking to Richard Williams. The Jacques de Jeannette group is playing on London South Bank as part of the Jazz Festival on Friday, November the 16th. Time to fire up the singles club. Charlotte, yes. let's hear your track first.
3: <laughs> and they say that love's a drug But baby, I just don't buy it Though you say I won't like it I sure as hell would like to try it I just want someone to, want to
1: Uh, That is uh, The Lovely Eggs with I Just Want Someone To Fall In Love With. Charlotte, your choice of singles club this week. Tell us about The Lovely Eggs.
0: Uh, The Lovely Eggs are David and Holly. Uh, They're a married couple from Uh Lancaster. And Holly used to be in all-girl pop-punk group Angelica.
1: Right, okay. Um, And this is what, their debut album, their second album? No,
0: this is uh, a single from their third album, Wildlife.
1: Okay, what do you like about it?
0: They're just really in love, and you can hear that in the music that they make. They're just like big kids. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of kind of uh, very crashy cymbals and loud guitars Mm -hmm. and and really kind of surreal songs about love and sci-fi novelists and um, romance. They're just, they're very fun. Mm
1: -hmm. It is your actual indie music, this, in a world where I was sort of thinking maybe indie as a term it ceased to mean anything at all this is your actual proper kind of like you can hear john peel sort of back announcing this record can't you Definitely. Um, um, what i mean is that part of its appeal yeah, it, it's I
0: think kind of so. very apart from the I think mainstream so. their first ep was um was five songs and it was it was it was made with like guitars and found instruments and mm-hmm. you know drums made out of sticks they'd found in their back garden and they were really ramshackle there's definitely a kind of ramshackle home recording mm. charm to them for sure
1: okay uh kieran
0: i mean
2: this wasn't really my cup of tea you're joking um i mean i d- i do understand that kind of whole dislocating the tropes of traditional love songs thing which i think that actually indie does quite well um and it's i thought it was so really interesting that you said that they sound like they're really in love because i i don't know i felt like she sounded a little bit bored this kind of drawl this sort of punk drawl didn't sound like what i would associate with being loving but then you know i'm into r&b slow jams um but yeah i thought you know thought you like was... more like
1: it if it's i'm going to rub you up and down all night. yeah long, you know i'm kind don't of don't like it, a yeah. Jodice
2: kind of uh <laughs> i'm a big fan, um, <laughs> um but no i thought i thought this this is actually kind of a uh, you know, a good conversation to have about a resurgence of an indie sound because obviously this week we've had David Joseph, um, which is the head of Universal, talking about this impending resurgence of indie in 2014 and how there's no good, you know, British breakthrough acts. And, uh, why is
1: there an? impact? I missed this completely. This is an interesting topic and one perhaps worth discussing. Yes, um, perhaps um, we'll talk about it after my track. But um, <laughs> no, because I think there's something I was going to actually I was going to say something relating to the track I brought in. Right. But why he thinks there's going to be a resurgence of indie in 2014?
2: Yes, he was saying where there was. Um, a lack of British breakthrough music by which he means um, guitar music yeah but also uh, music that sold over 100,000 right. records and I think it's nine this year compared to 19 last year and so he's saying you know there is this kind of backlash it's a reactionary time um, but in two we're going to have a resurgence of an indie sound and that's when Why does he think away like, I don't know it's all he's economics and label stuff he sort of it?
1: pinpointed it I like the fact that his bit was not it's about 18 months <laughs> he's talking about a on a, a Wednesday, Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's an interesting idea i think there is something might be something in the air to do with that but we'll talk about that again in a minute the lovely eggs i just want someone to fall in love with is out now is out now on
0: it's independent release <laughs>
1: <laughs> on an indie label so small we don't even I know think it's called non-
0: eggs or egg
1: egg yeah brilliant fantastic the eggs. i'm sure you're you know, obviously- actually
0: having their own Little egg, Holly's five months pregnant.
1: Oh, that's... that's well, well, we wish them all the best.
0: Congratulations. Yes.
1: With that, that's yes. great. Congratulations to the lovely eggs. Um, obviously, I, we don't know what label it's on. Charlie's just busking it here. Um, but I'm sure, you know, we live in an age of Google. Go and check it out. Let's move on. Kieran's Choice. <laughs> That's Kieran's choice on Singles Club this week. That's Pox and Pacheco Muevelo featuring DJ Yervin. <laughs> Try saying that after a night on the source. Um, Kieran, tell us about this. What what what, what kind of music is this then? Uh,
2: this is Tuki music. The genre is known as Tuki, um, and it comes from uh, Venezuelan slums. Wow! So the music of the Venezuelan slums. Okay. It's kind of urban music in that area. Uh, kind of originates from. Caracas, and one of the biggest tracks is called Petar, P E T A R E, which is named after the biggest slum in Venezuela. So it's just really kind of grassroots underground urban music, kind of urban electronic music, which I thought was really fascinating because it's just great. I've always watched videos about, you know, kind of watching locals just while out to Tuki music and they wear skinny jeans and Nikes, and uh, they kind of, this is the, the counter cultural bass music in the area. Um and it does I mean it sounds it sounds nuts it sounds like kind of masculine infused house trance music I mean it's
1: It's got definitely got a South American feel to its rhythm
2: doesn't it it has like those kind of it's almost cartoonish in a way it's uh, it's roots come with a DJ called DJ Baba um, he was really inspired by techno music from the early 90s and it's just evolved from that and kind of taken bits of trance, bits of these, these like, cartoonish samples and sounds and, you know, these boinks, you know, mm, like, mm. you know, like someone's just discovered an N P C And, you know, I, I like all that kind of grassroots feel and it's, it's good.
1: OK, um, I admire... The whole idea of this, I like the idea of global dance culture, I like the idea of uh, different um, countries and different sort of, you know, subcultures within those countries taking on aspects of, um, you know, whatever, techno or house music or dance music or whatever, and, you know, twisting it to their own ends. Um, that's all great. I thought it was bloody awful. Um, <laughs> I do you really... ever
0: like anything Kieran brings in? I do, I,
1: yeah, I'll tell you what I like, Quez, I like that. It's one Quez of my favourite records a, of the year, that.
0: Brilliant, isn't it? Um,
1: yeah, Luna really George, good. I like that as well. Good. I like all sorts of things that Kieran brings in. I just, I find this exceptionally irritating piece of music. I mean, it, it, it...
2: I mean, it's a grower, not a shower.
1: <laughs> I don't even you say grower. How brilliant. many times did you have to listen to it? <laughs> Because you know,
2: are you trying to tell me that back in your wha- raving wha- wha- days in the nineties, wha- 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 when they I think I would, drawn, like this,
1: I would have drawn, I would have drawn a um, uh, drawn a line. Would I would you? have gone to the chill out room. <laughs> I would have gone to the chill out room and tried to arrange my eyeballs <laughs> and pointed in the same direction as each other again. Um, that's what I would have done while this one was on.
2: So annoying that the internet wasn't live and kicking in those days because I always look for like some great archive footage of there Alexis raving. There is no
1: There is a video footage on YouTube of one of the first raves I ever went to, but you can't see me on it. <laughs> Seduction on Margate Pier, ninety-one. Hardcore, you know the score. Um, anyway, um, no, I, 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 you know, I would be interested to hear other stuff. You said a lot about comedy noises and things like that. I, I wouldn't listen to that. I just found that a very annoying piece of music. Um, but I mean, if there was other stuff that didn't have, if it didn't have that that kind of farty sort of noise over the top of it, yeah. um, I would, I would, I would like. The rhythm was great. The rhythm was kind of funky. I could move to that. Yep. <laughs> um, but, um, but no, as a thing, mm-hmm. as, as something that I would actively go, I'm going to put this piece of music on and listen to it. No, okay. no, sorry, and I apologize to the people of Venezuela. Anyway, it's be top gear in here, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Charlotte, do you have any thoughts?
0: You, no. You really don't have any thoughts. Okay, right, <laughs> I had a little well, bounce to it in my chair. I you, liked you, it. You, you were, yeah, you were sort of getting on it. down to
1: it. You were less bothered by the I was not bothered annoying... by it
0: on anywhere near the level you were. Okay. I enjoyed okay. it.
1: Well, it's, yeah, let's, let, uh, yes. well, there you go. A, a wide range of opinion. Where can people find this? Um, people who want to be irritated, where can they find it?
2: <laughs> this <laughs> can be found on the internet.
1: Is there, to, a spe- is there a website to my
2: fellow bass aficionados? Your fellow bass
1: aficionados who like <laughs> kind of noises over the top of things. Is there a website where you can find out more about this? Is there a good sort of resource online? There is
2: a documentary that just came out um, at the end of last month, and it's called Who Wants Tuki, and that's T U K I. So you can learn more about the
1: sound there. Okay, fantastic. Um, so let's move on. Here's my choice. Uh, That's Ty Gaul from his forthcoming album, Twins, that's called You're the Doctor. Um, I went to see Ty Seagal uh, live in the summer at the Green Door store in Brighton, and it was really, really exciting and brilliant, and felt like the kind of gig that if you went to as a 15-year-old, you'd go, yeah, I'm going to form a band as a result of this. It was totally chaotic, incredibly loud, I mean, really sort of punishingly loud, um, with an audience going mental. He's... I mean, certainly looks to me like a very young kid, but I mean, he might be in his early 20s, something like that. Um, and it was sort of chaotic and snotty and vibrant and really basic and all that kind of good stuff. I think as an album artist, he is um, hoisted by the fact that he puts out so many records. It's the third album he's released this year. Um, nobody's that good. <laughs> you know, you can't just support that weight of things. This track is two minutes long um, and it. Basically summarises everything you need to know about why Ty is great, it's noisy, pissed off, uh, garage rock. Triquets. There's also loads of great clips of. Bizarrely, the American media seems to have taken to him, and there's loads of amazing clips of him uh, on YouTube at the moment, performing this, this very song on uh, David Letterman, and even better, there's one of him on some Breakfast TV show in <laughs> Chicago. And it's pretty. The sound, clearly, again, playing in the studio, enormous volume, and the sound keeps sort of going up and down. You can sort of imagine the, the guy on the sound desk. sounds awful, everything's in the red. No, I can't hear anything. Oh, put it back. Oh, no, you know, it's, it's sort of great. Um, Kieran
2: um yeah I mean I I I mean I struggled with it a little bit because I can actually handle a little bit of kind of distortion and like shredding and like you know thrashing stuff you know from like nirvana and that kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. it sounds you know and and you know that I can sort of deal with this was kind of really unrelenting I think Mm. in that pace it was really furiously (laughs) paced wasn't it (coughs) yeah um and you know I mean it sounded a, a little bit Motorheady as well. I would just like to point out now that the only Motorhead track I know is Ace of Spades. So, I mean, right? What That's I mean by a... that is it sounds a bit like Ace of Spades, it... just just in that kind of like.
1: Again, not. I mean, you know, Motorhead fans may disagree, but I wouldn't say there was that much variety over their oeuvre. Right. Yeah. I once saw Motorhead live and they did an acoustic track. Right. <laughs> uh, and the acoustic track still sounded a bit like Ace of Spades. It was amazing. <laughs> it was called Whorehouse Blues. I remember the acoustic track. Um, but anyway, yes. Let, let, let us let yeah. us move on. It's,
2: uh, it's very full on, and it's music that would be difficult to ignore. And I think that there's something to be said about that isn't
1: there a guardian fellow guardian critic left uh tyson's london show because it was too loud um shame. yeah shame name shame. and shame i'm not i couldn't possibly <laughs> um charlotte
0: I, I really liked it i like the unrelentingness of it I, it's it's i just want to stick my head in it and kind mm. of like bathe in it um i think that that's the point of it really absolutely
1: yeah again it would it's a sort of gig that would inspire me to pick up a guitar if i was a kid and maybe that's kind of what rock music needs at the moment. You're talking to about a mm-hmm. lack of, you know, breakthrough, alternative rock artists or indie to call it what you want. Um it strikes me that at times when guitar music gets quite sort of Clotted and sclerotic and boring, and whatever. What invariably is needed is total kind of back to basics, sort of mm. bone through the nose simplicity. You know what I mean? It, it basically, it's kind of garage rock is what's needed, and that can take the form of, you know, glam or punk or even sort of the white stripes, the strokes kind of thing. Even Oasis, to a certain degree, when they first came out, had this kind of, you know, anybody could play an Oasis song, you know? And maybe this is the sort of thing that might inspire because I mean if I was a, a kid with something a burning desire to express myself it's actually strange now it's a lot easier and it's a lot cheaper uh, to become a rapper or a dance producer than it is to form a band because you don't yeah. need that much equipment you know you need a laptop and you don't need a guitar and, and all that sort of stuff so there's probably more barriers to
3: that
2: culture of destroying and rebuilding mm. a sound as well is always you know is good for progression yeah. and you know for, for something I think in terms of getting
1: people into doing something you need to look at something and think, I could do that. And with The Best One World... We'll or if I look at the sort of guitar albums I've liked this year, yeah. it's all very clever kind of art rock. It's all things like um, Dirty Projectors and Grizzly Bear and things. Like, and it, it doesn't... Inst- you know, if I was 15, I wouldn't be thinking, I could I could do that. You know, mm. it's it's kind that's of... That's sort
2: of what I like about that. What I was going to say is that why why do you find this more palatable than something like even, like... You know, trap or kind of hard rap. Because I would say that this demographic isn't your demographic either. This is for like young. But I was that guy, yeah. Right. Okay. Is that the reason? Yeah. To,
1: I mean, it's kind. Of, yeah. I mean, it's
2: because date project. Sorry, the date project does feel a lot more grown up. Grizzly bears feels a bit more grown mm. up. So it feels like it's more for me now. So I, c- I can consume that. Whereas this feels like you know, like you say, I've young
0: <coughs> teenage boys. I've really. I, I'm the opposite of Alexis. The, the, my favorite like kind of rock albums this year have have been very kind of messy and loud and aggressive. Like the Mets album. on right. Sub Pop. Um, Japan Droids mm-hmm. album. They're all really kind of like no, 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 no. You know, lots of shredding. Lot lots of of noise lots of blurry edges and and i've really liked that
1: um but i
0: think what 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 both of you were talking about is there is actually a big parallel there Mm. because it is so easy to be a rapper now all you need is is a mic and a laptop so there is a very kind of diy sensibility to that in the same way that there is yeah absolutely i think
1: more of a diy sensibility Mm. i think you know you you can you can you you can make an incredibly professional sounding record without you know try it without with a laptop, and that's all, and some and some bootleg software. But anyway, it's, it's intriguing to see if, if if anything follows through on this. If other pe- if people are kind of inspired by Tyson Galli, if people do think it's time for a bit of back to basics activity. Tyson Galli you're the Doctor, is the second track off his um, forthcoming album Twins. You can find lots of uh, YouTube footage of it out there on the internet. And that, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is this week's Singles Club. Someone who says he spent rather a lot of time in his bedroom in Perth, the most isolated city on the planet. One of the most isolated cities on the planet. I think there's one more isolated one. Um, Kevin Parker has attracted a starry bunch of fans with his psychedelic stoner pop. The Flaming Lips, Mark Ronson and Noel Fielding to pick out three. A couple of hours before stepping on stage at the Brixton Academy early this month with his band Tame Impala, Kevin spoke to The Guardian's Paul Lester.
6: Is it weird to be playing these very personal songs in front of such a wide, uh, such a big audience at the O2 Academy?
7: Uh, I guess it's kind of weird the first time, and then every time after that, th- it feels like the song kind of belongs to the audience. You know, like it's kind of weird. That, I mean, well, I mean, for me, it's kind of weird the first time I um, sing in, you know, a, even a band practice in front of my friends. You know, when I have to teach them the lyrics for, like, you know, backing vocals and stuff. That's when I get the most self-conscious. Singing, singing in front of an audience in a, in a band is kind of... Um, it's desensitised because there's all the distortion and, like, cosmic things going on. So, it's, I mean, it's, you're still singing, but you feel like you can kind of get away with it because it's buried underneath the walls of sound. Yeah.
6: Um, in a speaker, your first album, the new album *Lonerism*, um, intense isolation is, some, is the phrase that was used in an *Enemy* article. Uh, has the idea of you as the solipsist, lonely boy, tortured, isolated genius, been overplayed?
7: Well, yeah, slightly, obviously. <laughs> the whole isolation thing, um, like physical isolation, is only really a thing in um, the last album. You know, with like, uh, with uh, you know, one song off the last album. The, 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 all these songs are about other people. They're about being around other people. It's mo- it's like the feeling of being alone and not not physically being one. You know, when you're alone, you don't feel lonely
6: at all. Now, um, quite a lot has been made of the influence of Todd Rungren's A Wizard of True Star, his 1973 uh, stream of consciousness masterpiece, uh, which he made under the influence of. Uh, mind-bending mushrooms, I believe. Uh, possibly Ritalin. Um, but I, I, can't, I can't remember. Um, but I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that Todd Rundgren uh, influenced, and you can hear it. It's a very trebly, intense, fizzy, sci-fi sound that he achieved in that record. And also the album he made afterwards, 1974's double album, Todd, I can hear on one of the tracks. I believe the track that I can really hear it is Endor Trois. Oh. Um, yeah, tell me about Todd Rungren and the influence uh, of his music on yours.
7: I mean, we just got into him in a big way, especially that album, A Wizard of True Star, just for its um, sonic um, adventurism, you know, trying really bold things. Uh, so he'd put, like, flanges over the whole mix, and, and, which, you know, in, in real terms means, like, taking the sound of a band and just, like, sticking it into a whirlpool, you know, <laughs> that kind of sound. Yeah. Just doing things where it, it's not necessarily meant to sound like a recording of a band playing. It's a recording of a band playing and then totally screwing with it.
6: So, so Todd, I guess, Todd and Eno, at the same time, were, were involved in treating the instruments in the studio
7: yeah i guess so yeah Eno is a big one as well it's just that kind of it's that it's that idea it's that like perspective you know of, of sort of disregarding the the purity of like instruments and people playing and the the, the the origin of the sound and just and just taking it to new levels
6: what is it you're doing then on uh, lonerism is it psychedelia meets electronica is it the the, the, the hippy dippy goes digital sure that sounds like good enough
7: that sounds closer than um, other reports I've heard. Yeah,
6: sure. God, that was just off the top of my head. You, no, imagine if funny. I'd have had 15 seconds to think about it. <laughs> and Dave Fridman um, did the mixing, not the co-producing. That's correct. Dave Fridman, who obviously famously worked with Mercurev and Flaming Lips.
7: Yeah, in fact, I went there for the first run. I went there for two weeks to mix the whole album. We mixed the whole album and I went, I got back home, flew all the way home and realised there were some... <laughs> Things I wanted to change, like the drums were uh, one dB too loud and a couple of songs and some other things were just, they were driving me insane, so I flew back there for another week to do it again.
6: <laughs> and are you happy with the results? Yeah,
7: I'm very happy with the results. I couldn't be happier.
6: You've had a busy year because you've also worked on an album by Melody's Echo Chamber, who's um, from Paris? Mm-hmm. What was that like? What were you trying to achieve on that record and how involved were you?
7: Uh, well, she just came to me with a bunch of songs. And, um, you know, she's really, she's, uh, really obsessed with um, crazy sounds, you know, crazy drum sounds, Portis Heady kind of sounds, that kind of thing. And uh, just needed someone to, you know, bring it to life, basically. Because she had these demos that she does on a laptop with sort of like, you know, little Yamaha keyboards or whatever and a little drum machine. And she just needs someone to, um, yeah, to, you know, take that and record. Her doing the rest of the stuff, or you know, whoever's around. It's great for me because I don't have to worry about thinking. I don't have to worry about being an artist or any of that kind of stuff. I just, I'm just doing all the physical stuff, which is, you know, my my greatest hobby, if you, if you can even call it that.
6: What about Kylie Minogue? You've apparently written seven songs for Kylie.
7: I haven't written seven songs for Kylie. I just, I've just got a bunch of random, really cheesy pop songs that I. have that I just do kind of, if I think of them, I'll quickly record it. You know, with whatever, whatever I've got lying around, a laptop or whatever. They're, I've, they're just songs that I've deemed way too sugary for Tame Impala. I could never, I could never, I wouldn't feel right. So I'm just saving them until some sort of pop star wants to, um, wants to take them. Yeah, I'm just going to give them away, I guess. I mean, the, the Carly Monoga's is kind of like the ideal one because she's just got this really kind of like sugary sweet... Girl voice. And um, yeah, I don't know, I just think she'd uh, she'd benefit them from them the most, but
6: has Carly has she heard them?
7: I don't think so,
6: no. That, that that dance direction of hers is totally outplayed. She needs to move into a more of a psych fuzz prog pop direction, I feel.
7: Well, you know, if she ever wants to, the doors are open.
3: This <laughs> time <laughs>
1: Paul Lester talking to Tame Impala's Kevin Parker the latest album Lonerism is out now on Modular yes.
2: Music for the disappointed social workers, geography teachers, etc., says Tesco's Dry Cider on the blog, reacting to the revelation of a Christmas album from last week's guest, Tracy Thorne.
1: No score bore agrees, saying he couldn't have put it better. But Pop Bijou comes to our rescue. He says, well, what if that is true? Shouldn't social workers and geography teachers listen to music that speaks to them? It seems like uncool people make up most of the record buying public anyway. Shouldn't everyone be represented? It seems that a lot of cool people don't buy music anyway.
2: Hmm. Whatever. Then Dan, that's Dan with six A's, weighed in as well. I think that's a bit unfair. I'm only 25, me too, in my prime, a keen strutter, and I like Tracy Thorne. Maybe I need to reconsider things. How much is the PGC again?
1: I make that too. all. keep the thoughts coming on the blog. you find it at guardian.co.uk forward slash musicweekly. That's us for the week. Thank you, Charlotte, for coming in.
0: Thank you for having me. It's
1: very nice to see you, as ever. We'll be back next week, won't we? We will. Excellent.
0: Bye.
1: <laughs> we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. bye bye guardian masterclasses are now accessible as video downloads and streams for our podcast listeners we have a special offer on the great science writer tim radford's masterclass normally three pounds to stream or five pounds to download we are offering
7: 10 percent off and all you have to do is use our podcast listeners discount code science save all one word and check out all our guardian masterclasses at guardian.co.uk